My name is Sally Jackson Freeman. Over the past 30 years in the music business, I've pretty much seen and heard it all. And the one thing I know beyond doubt is that behind every superstar is a huge team of highly successful and talented individuals who help the artists realise and monetize their talent. This podcast is dedicated to finding out what makes these people so successful and sharing their insider knowledge and tips with you. Okay, so Ariel Hyatt, my dear friend, welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. It's so lovely that you're here today. I'm so happy to be speaking to you. Um, welcome. How are you? All things considered in the world, I am very, very well. Thank you. <laughs> good. I know. That, that's a very good qualification, actually. Um, I know. It's been so challenging and well, you know, what can we do apart from continue? So my first question today I'm going to ask you is, we've just got a storm over England. What's the weather like with you today? It's such a British thing to say. Well, I've kind of moved to a Britishy place. I'm in Western Massachusetts, which New England is called New England for a reason. Um, and it's known for um, colder winters and gray skies. But right now we are heading into fall. It's rainy oh. and the leaves are changing. So it's quite beautiful here. Oh, that sounds a bit like us. It's raining here and the leaves are changing. So, hey, oh, well, I'm so pleased you've moved to a new place. So Ariel has always been in New York. So this must be a massive new move for you to kind of come out of New York. What does that feel like? Well, it's, this is the place where my grandparents are from and my dad was, was raised here. So it's, it's sort of like a homecoming, which is really nice. And I have a little story. I went to the bank a couple of days ago um, and I went up to the teller and I did not have my baby with me. It was just me. And the teller said, oh, how's the baby? And at first I thought, how does she know I have a baby? And then I realized this is a small town and I've already yeah. been in this bank and she saw that. And I left the bank and I started crying oh. because I've never had that experience of, I mean, New York city is an anonymous place. I banked in the same bank for 20 years and I don't think anyone ever even knew my name. Oh. So I'm getting the, what, what the, um, the beauty of small town life is, and it's, it's really touching, especially now where um, things feel, things feel really weird in the world. And it, it feels nice to go to a place where not to quote cheers, but I'm quoting cheers. Everybody knows your name. It's really, yeah. really nice. It, it kind of feels like that's real community, isn't it? Where mm -hmm. there's something very precious about, you know, where someone knows your name that they've noticed yeah. you. They've noticed yeah. you've had a baby. That's just incredible. Oh, well, really, really I, yeah, cool. I really wish you well, you know, because you have been that New York it girl. Um, so, wow, a new, a new time for you. And I, 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 have, I wish that you have a really successful time there and you create a happy family future. I'm sure you will. Thank you. Well, we haven't given up our place in New York, but, okay. um, but it is so nice to look at, look at trees and get in nature and yeah 
Yeah. Oh, you're going to you're going to have an amazing autumn. I can't wait to see all the pictures. Um, I'm going to start where we started. And first of all, I'm going to say you are an absolute testimony to social media. We first met because you invited me to a seminar that you were doing in London through Twitter. And so our relationship began on Twitter and people don't believe this. Um, And I came along to your seminar and I was literally bowled over by everything that you said. And I literally wrote down, I didn't literally, I did write down everything that you said so much so that I ran out of paper. I was writing on receipts. I just thought, Oh my gosh, this person has totally understood what's happening. And this was about 10 years ago. And you totally saw what was going to happen, how everything was going to move online, that we had to have um, a digital presence to, to really extend our brand and to connect to audiences and to sell music. And I guess I want my place where I'm starting is I want to say thank you because you have really inspired me in all the work that I've done I think with artists at Glastonbury and now as I um, communicate with students and I I lecture. So first of all, thank you, Ariel. You are amazing. And you continue to inspire me by what, what, you know, by what you've done. Um, I'm actually going to give a quick summary here of what you have done so that everyone on the podcast will know what kind of stuff that you've been doing. So you've been a fierce entrepreneur now for more than 20 years running Cyber PR. And Cyber PR is an artist development, social media and content strategy firm based in New York City. You advise artists on how to create online influence and how to release impactful projects. You have spoken in 12 countries to over 100,000 creative entrepreneurs and you are the author of four books. Your newest book, CrowdStart, The Ultimate Guide to a Powerful and Profitable Crowdfunding Campaign, went to number one on Amazon, and you've helped literally hundreds of artists publicize their music to make a living, which I think is incredible. You you have provided food on the plates for people. Um, And I think everything that you've done can be summarized in this one sentence that you describe about yourself. And you say, I realize that if you find a few passionate fans or followers, they then become your advocates online. The internet allows you to build a tribe of people who believe and support in you. My team and I help you find your tribe and connect with them. And that's how you create longevity and relevance for any brand. And um, yes, amen. I mean... What's amazing about what you just read is we are living proof. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, and it's funny because I I think there's this, this is a great jumping off point because I think there's this strange, especially in the artist music related world, you and I are very much peers and colleagues. Yeah. I'm not, and, and we met through this medium and I think something happens with in a dynamic where it's like one person is the artist and, and one person is the fan or one person. Yeah. I hate this word. I can't think of anything else. It's a bit early here. One person is the guru and one person is the follower, yeah. right? It, that's a weird, um, but yeah, there you go. I reached out to you. You were love live music UK. I thought that's really intriguing. This person uh-huh. is clearly supporting live music and she's in the UK and 
I went through every single one of my followers on Twitter a few weeks before I was coming to London because I didn't know a lot of people in London. And I had this amazing invitation to speak at the PRS house. And I really wanted people that were already somehow following me to, to come. So that was it. A cold, yeah. direct message on Twitter turned into a very close and cherished friendship. Yeah. And Laura Fitton, who was known as Pistachio, who now it works worked for many, many years um, running her own Twitter company and then worked for HubSpot. That's another example of a friend who I saw a tweet one day and she said, I'm coming to the, the pod camp in Brooklyn. Does anyone have a couch that I can stay on? And I tweeted back, yes, I do. And we're friends uh, 15 years later. Here we go. Wow. So that was, I think, 2008. So it's amazing. It's amazing how you can find super fans who then become advocates and colleagues. And this right now is a living example. It surely is. And um, yeah, I mean, I was so impressed. I literally said to you, Ariel, I'm coming over to New York. And I came and I just wanted to see what you were doing. And it was just so amazing to see what you were doing in Park Slope. And um, I I still really haven't met many people like you um, that do what you do and really help artists in the generous way that you do. And um, it's very impressive, Ariel. And I am very grateful for our friendship and for all the learning that I've had off you. And um, so thank you. And I think, yeah, back to the last thing that you, that in your quote, that's how you create longevity and relevance for any brand. And I think it is, it is the long arc of history, to quote Obama, as he recently said, you know, we're living in times where everything is instant. And I think it just requires lots of time to build up and to build relationship. And it, I see that that's what you encourage your artists to do, your clients to do. Yeah. And we're given a lot of really strange information in today's digital world of unless you have millions of something that it's not, you're not relevant. And I can't tell you, I think 90, 95% of every artist, when I talk to them about the possibility of, of collaborating and working together, they always say, I just want as many people as possible to hear my music. (laughs) Yeah. And I get that. This is the sense of urgency of like, I feel this deep need for everyone to hear me now, but that's not going to be a recipe for success. Um, And I think it really comes to understanding that you just need the right people, not all the people. Yeah. the, The right people. Yeah. No, it's true finding your tribe and um you know there's the 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 old thing of finding a hundred super fans that spend you know a hundred dollars with you uh and that becomes a good income you know um and it's discovering those super fans and creating that community and uh, you know those skills are skills of friendship and being able to to build that continuous kind of friendship with your audience and that doesn't come quickly you know, I think no. you have to invest in it. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. One of the reasons why I chose you 
for this podcast is I've chosen 10 for this first season. And in my eyes, you're very successful. And I want to look at some of the things around being successful. So the first thing I want to look at is character. And when you describe someone or you describe yourself um, and you look at some aspects of your career and life, what, what would you say are some of those elements that you see have been the most successful in your life? Functioning out of a place of integrity has been a cornerstone for me. And very early days in when I was starting in the music business, I started like so many of us doing free unpaid internships. And I realized very early on that there are a lot of nasty people in the music business. And I don't mean nasty in the good Hillary Clinton way. I mean <laughs> it in the not nice way. Yeah. And very early on, I worked for a couple of people who taught me through a lot of pain. Actually, my first lessons they occurred in London. Okay. I took, I took an internship before I was interested in music. I was interested in fashion and I thought fashion was the direction that I wanted to go to. And I'm actually going to name names here. Um, I got an internship through a very, very, very close connection and dear friend of our family in New York city at Lynn Franks Limited, which is a PR firm at Marble Arch in London. And it had always been my dream to go to London and live in London. I'd never been there. And I came as a first year student. So I was 19 years old. I wow. turned 19 in London. And I had the most horrendous experience ever to this day, working as an unpaid intern Everyone there was so rude and so nasty and so horrible. First of all, um, they, there was a lot of judgment around me being young and everyone just assumed I was there because my daddy was rich. By the way, my dad never made any money. My mother made it all. But that's another story. Anyway, so I got to London and I was completely isolated. This was before social media. I didn't know anyone except one friend who was in town and... I went to this horrendous internship where I cried every day and I really learned about how not to treat other people. Yeah. And I learned about how a little bit of kindness and believing in young people is, is the key. Yeah, absolutely. And I was a very talented, very smart person. No one at Lynn Franks Limited ever figured that out. Um, I quit way before um, that happened. But that was that was really eye-opening. And then my second and third experience were was after I got into the music business, I had a boss, another very high-powered publicist. Horrible, nasty. My first day on the job, um, unpaid internship, she took off her shoes. She threw them at me, threw them at me. They hit me. And she said, take these back to Barney's. They hurt. That was literally my first day on the job. And I took these shoes, $1,000 shoes with no box, up the escalator at Barney's, shaking from head to toe. And I got to the shoe department, which was at the top floor. And the most beautiful, gorgeous, 
black man, (laughs) gay, fabulous, came walking towards me. And I, I got on the floor and I started crying. And I said, you have to take these shoes back or I'm going to lose my, this is my first day in the music business. And he did, he did it. Wow. Um, Anyway, that was enormously eye-opening for me. And I don't want to make this the longest answer to this question, but I believed at that time, I remember saying to myself, if I ever have the privilege of having anyone work with me, intern with me, I am going to understand that they have talents that have nothing to do with returning shoes to Barney's. Yeah. And they didn't get there because of their mommy or daddy. They got there because they wanted to work with me. And um, I, I really hope that that's how I've, I've treated all the interns and, and staff that have, have come through my doors. And I also, um, at Lynn Franks Limited, it was before the internet. And I was interested in fashion, but I didn't really understand what PR was. I was just a freshman in college and they didn't have the internet. You couldn't look up like, what is PR? How does it work? Like that wasn't the thing. And I remember saying to my supervisor that first day, what is PR? And he looked at me like I had 27 heads. And his answer was, he was incredulous. He was furious. He was disgusted with me. And he said, well, PR is PR. (laughs) That's very good British accent. (laughs) And I thought, okay, PR is PR. There's my answer. Anyway, so um, integrity, operating out of a place where you trust that everybody knows something and brings something to the table. That includes my clients. That includes everyone we collaborate with. When an independent musician comes to me to work with us, I don't know how to sing, play the guitar, engineer a record, record. I have no idea how to do that. That's their superpower. Yeah. My superpower is something else. Yeah. So it's it's meeting people, understanding that we're not born with the innate knowledge of, you know, how to run a Facebook ad campaign or how to, yeah. you know, run a pre-save campaign on Spotify. That's my job. Your job is make excellent music and I'll show you the part that you don't know. Yeah. To amplify it and to connect it with the audience yeah, with integrity without yeah. making there was when I when I worked at the music PR firm and we worked for incredible artists Sting Tina Turner um in excess wow. before Michael Hutchins passed you know giants Jeff Buckley I'll never forget the day that um it was so impactful just Sting would call the office and I would like shake in my boots because I just couldn't even <laughs> believe he was on the other end of the phone but the PR team there, literally every time any phone call came in, they would say, oh, that person is so stupid. Oh, that person's an asshole. You know, I couldn't yeah. believe how they were just, not the artist. The artist was God, but everyone else, including yeah. the editors at Rolling Stone and Spin, they were all stupid and dumb. And yeah. I just couldn't believe how awful. Yeah. <laughs> thought, yeah. Like, that's, that's just not a formula for... It's a, it's a poverty mentality, really, instead of an abundance mentality. You know, when you, when you look at that sort of young 19 year old in London, is, is there anything that you'd say to her now? You know, I'm thinking of some of my students, you know, um, what would you say to that younger version of yourself right now? Well, this is interesting because this was like a, a very serious lesson I learned in London. I come from 
I come, my, my, my mother is a very successful, fierce entrepreneur. And my dad also was a very creative filmmaker and made very productive type A family. Let's just say that. And the lesson that I got growing up was we don't quit. We don't quit. I was never allowed to quit. I was actually never even allowed to stay home from school unless I was truly ill with a high fever. That was it. Like I came from that family where both my parents remember World War II. They had it tough. They didn't just give me whatever the hell I wanted. They were tough. They were tough. And quitting was not an option. So there I was in London and I was miserable and they were horrible and I was isolated and going to work felt like a very painful thing. And the first thing and that was actually my 19 year old self I called my mother hysterically crying and she gave me permission to quit wow she said she said it sounds untenable there and I had given it weeks and I had gone in and I put my chin up and I was humiliated and Mm. all these horrible things happened and she said give yourself permission to quit You, you can quit and it's okay Oh. and she said you've got another six weeks in London because I had rented a room and you know I was there and she said go enjoy London go to the museums go to theater I was also a theater major so going to the West End I would stand in the back at the stalls with the with the 20 pound ticket um, and that's what I did I took myself on a on a historical um, artistic and theatrical tour of your gorgeous city and I mm-hmm. I, I, I learned so much from that quitting because it taught me how to be independent. I had to go to restaurants by myself if I wanted to eat or cafes or pubs. I had to navigate your transit system. I had to just figure out a new city with yeah. no friends and no contacts. So that lesson of when it is so horrendous, it is okay to quit. That was a huge one. However, that lesson, I didn't synthesize it. I Later it, throughout my career, I would work for clients who were not a good fit sometimes, and I would never quit. Yeah. And what I would do was instead of understanding my limits and their limits and going, this is not a great client, I need to fire myself, I would try desperately to make it okay. And something that you'll learn in any industry, but very much in the music business, is you're not a fit for everyone, no matter what you're doing on what side of the house. And I had a certain amount of people pleasing that I was doing, especially as a young publicist. When you're in marketing and PR, it's never enough, right? You get the calendar listing, they want the photograph feature. You get the photograph feature, they want the blurb. You get the blurb, they want the column. You get the column, they want the full page. You get the full page, they want the cover. It's never enough, never enough. And so you're constantly in this world of trying to please an insatiable thing. Publicity is insatiable. It's this endless thing. And then after you get the cover, you should get on TV. And then after you get on TV, you should go from the interview to the feature performance. And everybody wants to just go straight to Good Morning America to the feature performance without getting the calendar listing. So um, when you're in that, it is very hard to see the, the light through the trees because your client never says to you, Never. That was enough. I feel <laughs> totally satisfied. Yeah. Right. What they're going to say is, yes. You know, what they're going to say is I feel, 
disappointed and sad that you only got my single reviewed. I wanted my whole album reviewed. And it's like, okay, do you know that on music blogs, no one reviews whole albums? Really? That's not a thing. You know, so it's, it's very hard. So the, the, my 19 year old self and up through, I would say 30 and maybe even more didn't learn unless someone was wildly abusive and mean and horrible, didn't learn to say, you know what, here's your money back. We're not a great fit. Or you know what, I think I need to find another solution for you because this is clearly not working out. I'm trying my best. I'm doing everything I, I can. I pulled out all the stops and it's not enough. Let's break up. Instead, I would like get married and try to fix the marriage over and over and over and over. Yeah. So I think there's also a line here, and I know we're going to talk about it because we talked about this in the pre-call. Know when to quit, but also know when to hang in enough so that you've given it your best and you've actually worked hard all the way to your limit, but don't hurt yourself. Yeah. This also goes back to being someone's peer. Yeah. When you're someone's peer, you can say, this isn't working. It's not working for you. It's not working for me. Are you happy? I'm not happy. I'm in a bad relationship. Like, do you wake up smiling every day? I don't. When you can say that, it's very different from like, someone is a subordinate and someone is, is not. And the client is your boss. That is for sure. They're paying you the money. But again, you also have to understand that is your job to explain to the client where the expectation needs to be. And that is the other giant lesson that I think, I think it mostly only comes with getting older. Like, I mean, (laughs) after 40, but maybe not, maybe some of the younger people on this, um, who, who are listening to this. Yeah. I also work with a lot of younger people, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they can speak to this somewhat, but it's just being really honest with people and saying like, okay, like I know what I know and I've done the best I can do. And and that's it. Like, yeah. that's it. I think that's it. I think, you know, that's a lesson that I'm learning to say, I've done my best here and it's good enough and you can walk away. Or, you know, even when a job is naturally done, I think it's sort of an internal thing as well. It's kind of, um, it's an attitude. And I think if you're always trying to do your best, then, then you can rest easy that if you've done a job, to the best of your ability and if it hasn't sometimes worked out that's okay and only you will know that inside so, and i think owning i think owning that is also incredibly important yeah. you know what we, we missed the mark there i think yeah. we thought we would go a certain way and it didn't let's try again yeah or let's reframe this or yeah. let's give this another go and you know you have to have the right client who is is in the game with you for that Absolutely. that's another part of it is that yeah. it, always, it doesn't work the first time, always, especially yeah. now. Yeah. There's no formula with how to, how to succeed on the internet. I mean, yeah. we know what we know, but you have to continually yeah. correct and, and continue as you move yeah. forward. And that is, I think, after integrity, the second key to my success, which has been yeah. adaptability. I mean, the music industry, when I got into it in the very early 90s, it is nothing, nothing like it looks yeah, yeah, today. Yeah. Nothing. They didn't even have the internet. You know, I mean, <laughs> holy, oh my God, right? So that's the other thing. You know, I learned a very specific way to do PR and that's not how you do PR anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I think, also the key. My mother was an expert on careers and always used to talk about, you know, one person 
in the world today will have seven completely separate careers. So it's all about adaptability, right? It's not like our grandparents' generation where you would get a job at an office as the male person and you you leave your career as the you know the vice president or yeah. you get a job in a factory and you kind of do the same job your whole my grandfather owned a hardware store he sold hardware until he could save enough money to buy a hardware store and then he sold hardware and then he died selling hardware that's what he did for 50 yeah. years very few of us are going to have that kind of career and um I might still be serving musicians. I have been doing that for 25 years, but the way that I do it today looks absolutely nothing like the way um, I did it then. Absolutely, yeah. I think my next question really is about the best piece of advice that you ever received and did you act on it? Did you not act on it? It's a great question and it's, I have a two part answer and it comes, it's two, piece of it, two pieces of advice that I got the first one, my mother said to me, do what you love and the money will follow. It turned out that piece of advice was not true. <laughs> um, and I, I did a talk about this because it was, a, it was an enormous revelation for me to realize. I, the, the, the core of what she was saying, I think, is, is right meaning do what you love and you're going to have a fulfilled life. But the money will follow part um, was something that, especially for creatives, and I consider myself a creative person, even though I'm not a musician, I am drawn to artists and creative people because I think very much like people in the creative uh, arts. And here's the distinction. It wasn't until I really understood how business and money work that I could make money doing what I loved. So, and I see this with my clients all the time. What do they love? They love making music. They love recording music. They love performing music. They love, you know, being in front of audiences, you know, all the yummy parts of being an artist. What do they not love? spreadsheets, figuring out how to, you know, do all the accounting, building your funnel, all of that, marketing, all of that is work called working on the business as opposed to working in the business. Now, yeah. if you're working in the business, you're just practicing your guitar nine hours a day. And that's the juice, right? That's the thing that makes you feel so good. When you're working on the business, you're teaching yourself QuickBooks. And frankly, that sucks. Or, you know, you're doing whatever the thing it is you need to do to make the money or to manage the money. And so the distinction about do what you love and the money will follow, I had to turn that on its head and realize that I had to follow the money while doing what I loved. And what I mean by follow the money was I hired someone who was much, much, much smarter than me um, to, be, to be my CEO for hire. She was a very dear friend, still is. And she came into my business and she took out a pad and she interviewed everyone that works with me. And because I couldn't figure out, yes, we were being successful, but we weren't 
turning a big profit or even a real profit, right? We were like doing well enough to survive, which I think many, 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 many people in the industry on every side do this. And so she interviewed all my PR team and my marketing team. She said, okay, you're charging $1,500 for a campaign. How many hours would you say it takes you to work on a campaign? And all my PR team spent weeks writing down exactly all the hours and we, we tallied it all up. And she came with a, with a spreadsheet and she said, the amount of hours that you're putting in to deliver this $1,500 campaign is coming out to you're earning $3 an hour per person. And I went, oh my God. Wow. And she taught me about, you know, what is the value of an hour? And if you need to get, you know, you do do the math, right? If you feel like you need to earn $50,000 a year, there's 40 hours per working week, if that's how much, or 50 or 60 or whatever your tolerance level is, and you, you back into it. So I need to earn $25 an hour. Anyway, it was revelatory because I realized we had to get much smarter and follow the money. So instead of working for 300 hours on a PR campaign, we needed to figure out how we could deliver it in 100 hours or whatever. You have to do the math there. But so it was following the money and realizing that the only thing that we all have is time. And there is a monetary value to your time. This is why anytime you study with a guru or anyone who's going to help you like make your life work better, one of the first things they'll tell you to do is hire a housekeeper. Why? Because cleaning your toilet is probably not a good use of your time if you can find someone to do it for even 10 cents less than you're supposed to earn for an hour. So if your hourly rate is, uh, let's make it up, 25 bucks, and you can find a cleaning person for 20, let them clean your toilet while you spend that hour focusing on your business. Amen. And so <laughs> there you go. That was, that was the first piece. <laughs> yeah. And I have to turn it on its head and realize the core of the message was perfect, but the actual execution of just being passionate. Um, Cal Newport is one of my favorite. And he wrote, he, he wrote a book that, that literally changed, it, it, it exemplifies this and it talks about passion and why following your passion only is absolutely never going to be um to to be a uh a successful um formula and it's called so good they can't ignore you and what that talks about very very quickly i'm so sorry i'm answering these questions so right just love you so much i want to give you everything (laughs) um you know, what he says is most people are motivated by passion. If you ask any young person, like, you know, what are you passionate about? They're going to say, I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about sports. I'm passionate about fashion. I'm passionate about um, taking photographs, you know, whatever it is, the thing I feel really, really good about. The truth is, if you want to make a living in and around any of those things, there's a distinction between what you're passionate about. I am passionate about music and I love live music and that's like my church still, but that's not what pays me. What pays me is my thinking, my ability to strategize, my ability to publicize, my ability to break down complicated things and make them simple for creative people. That is actually what I'm doing. I'm not doing the music business. I, if, if there was no more music business tomorrow, I would go out and do those things for someone else. So the distinction there is understanding that 
very few of us get to work around the industry that we feel most passionate about. But if you can figure out what you're excellent at and do it, you're going to have a deep satisfaction around what you're doing. Even if, if I was publicizing Clorox bleach, I would still, you know what, it sounds weird. I mean, I wouldn't feel as satisfied, but I would still be doing it in the creative way that I do things. And that's the lesson. Okay, and very quickly, the second thing my mother said, I had a partner, I had a business partner, and she was a major record label PR person. She was not my ideal partner, and it it was not going well. And I was letting her take advantage of me in many ways. And it, it was a very painful relationship. She had learned from everyone at Sony Music. So she was mean, nasty, rude. She was exactly what I had said I never wanted in my life, but I had come to a point where I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting bigger clients and getting more national stuff. So I brought her into my life and it was was going really badly. And my mother came to my office and she sat down and she looked me in the face and she said, don't be a sucker. And that was, it's not really advice. That was her observation. And her observation was that this person was saying they were my partner, but I was paying 100% of the rent on the office. And this person was saying they were my partner, but they were not bringing in any of their clients. This person was saying that they were my partner, but even though they had publicized all these massive internationally known artists, she put an artist on the cover of Time magazine with no interview unprecedented that had never ever ever never ever happened and yet she couldn't get any of my independent musicians arrested Hmm. and there I was doing what we just talked about trying and trying and trying and trying to make it okay it was not okay and then I had to I had to finally say no to her and it was me being the sucker allowing allowing that um so that was the second piece of advice well wow yeah, that's, that really speaks to me as well. So I'm going to go away and think about that. I'm just, we're, we're coming towards the end. The next thing I kind of want us to look at is hard times and survival responses. What is your response? How have you managed those hard times? The first thing I have to say about this is you have to separate the hard times from your work if you want to keep earning money. And it's hard. You have to, in order to survive the hard times, get really clear about other people's mental state and you have to protect yourself. You have to protect your heart. You have to make sure that you get your own oxygen mask on. Anyone that goes into marketing, publicity, promotion, they want very much to please others and to bring joy into the world. That is, that's sort of a, that's a trait if you've chosen this path. And there will be vampires that will come along and will suck and suck and suck and suck and suck and suck and suck. And and you have to learn about treating yourself well, but this does not mean quitting and going to take a bubble bath for three months. Like there is a distinction. 
you still have to get out of bed. You still have to go and put in the work. You still have to. And I've had some, some really rough times where I didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like it. Um, there, I hit a wall in my career where I had done what you said. I was the it girl for a long time. And I was the first person talking about, it, you know, digital. And I traveled the world. It was very exciting. And oftentimes, and you will find this with your musician clients, especially ones that had success and they're not having, if you have a giant hit, it's likely you're not going to have another giant hit again. Or if you had one, you know, you look at these artists that have like an unprecedented amount of success if something really great happens it's very hard to sustain that for 20, 30, 40 years later, the world changes. And that even through the hard times, you've got to put your pants on, you've got to get in front of the computer, you've got to figure out what is your pivot? What is your strategy? Give yourself permission. Some years are not work years. Some years are mental health years or months. And you have to break it down that this whole thing about balance is bullshit. You don't have, this is another one I got from my mother that is so brilliant. How does a high tightrope walker get from, if you look at that amazing man before they destroyed the World Trade Center, he walked on a wire between the buildings. How did he do it? He did it with a pole. Was that pole perpendicular to the ground the whole time when he was going from one building to the another? No, he, it went all the way to the right. And then it went all the way to the left. And then it was straight. That is your career. Sometimes you're leaning all the way to the left because your mother is sick, your child uh, is, have, is getting bullied at school, you can't pay your mortgage, you're dealing with a, a, an illness that is hurting you and you can't give it your all. You've got to be all the way to the left. Sometimes you're all the way to the right and you're working 18 hours a day and you're strategizing your career and you're figuring out how to launch a new product or a good or service. And guess what? While you're leaning all the way to the right, your mother has a heart attack and goes into the hospital. It is, it is human that every, this is what my mentor T. Harv Eker taught me, every three, three to four months, humans go into a crisis. This is just called life. So you're not always going to have the luxury of leaning all the way in on one side, but you get across that tightrope anyway. And, and, and sometimes it's great and you got it in balance and you get up and you get to feed your kids and pack their lunches and get them off to school. And sometimes you're not doing that, right? So understand that right now in the world, I think we're all wildly out of balance. The industry's decimated. People don't have enough food. People are losing their jobs. People are going to lose their homes. It's a serious time. It's okay to be leaning towards self-preservation, your mental health, taking care of yourself. Put that dream on hold for a minute and take care of yourself because without your own oxygen mask on, you're going to be useless to others. And, and that's okay. Yeah. Thank you. I just, I just find that really profound actually. And I want to just say one thing, because I know a lot of students and young people, um, that's a lot of your audience, social media doesn't give us permission mostly for this because it's always supposed to look fabulous. There's always a filter. Yeah. And I'll just 
leave you with this. My best friend who introduced me to my husband got breast cancer when she was 40 years old. First mammogram ever, breast cancer. Two kids, a husband, making all the money, giant career as a, a lawyer, and it was hell. I mean, she had to get mastectomy, chemo, radiation. It came back. It was bad. You looked at her Instagram feed, everything was fine. Dinner with the kids, traveling. You looked at her Facebook, everything was fine. It's not always like it seems. Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. Because, you know, we have a persona and it has to look fabulous. And I mean, I think a lot of us also maybe are sharing about our mental health or are sharing when things are bad. But for the most part, even those posts, we have to edit them and we have to put the right hashtag about mental health. Are you kidding me? There's a mental health hashtag. Like that's a hard balance to strike. So my advice for these times is go easy and you do what you need to do and we're all going to come out of this. We are all in this together, even though it looks bleak. Yeah. And it will pass. It might be a long time. And I think, I think the thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, there has to be some level of acceptance right now and to just like adapt the way we're living and to kind of go with it, accept it and do the best that we can do within what we can do. And there are always some things that you can do. So for me, I feel like there is always hope, you know, and if you're an artist, you know, there there are things that you can do. You can invest and go, okay, what's it going to be like in the next year? What could I do today to affect what it's going to be like next year? And, you know, sometimes we don't have energy for that. But I, I guess I want to encourage people that even if we do small things every day, it all builds up. And life often is in the very small things and in the private place. I'm going to finish. Um, the last question I've got is, have you got any advice for the next generation? If someone was going to come and work for you on your team, what qualities would you look for in someone to make them a great publicist, you know, team member? What sticks out to you? What do you personally like from a team member? I have the greatest team I've ever had. It took 25 years to get them. <laughs> First of all, passion. They're passionate about what they do. They love our clients. They love their work. That's part of it. Part of it is also, I stopped trying to make people do things. I'm, I'm acting like I'm like their commander in chief. I'm not. But you know, when you're, when you're leading a team, I think trying to get people to do things that they're not good at, that they're not, where they're not going to thrive is a terrible way to manage. Yes. So really finding, you know, Kayla on my team went to school for graphic design. She's awesome at it. She's excellent at social media and social media management and posting. And that's where she's really good. Jamie on my team is very compassionate and excellent at long-term vision and talking to artists. And so that's what she does, you know, and it's like, we allow everyone to do what they're really good at. And the minute I try to tell Jamie to post on social media, it doesn't go well. And the minute (laughs) I try to tell Kayla to get on client calls, it doesn't go well. So we have to realize, you know, what everyone's good at. And so my advice also for anyone young trying to make it in the business is you have to delay gratification. 
there were so many days where I just wanted to take the weekend off and go to the music festival. I just wanted to, and I have to say, I've missed out on a few opportunities, really big ones that I regret. So again, back to the oxygen mask. If you think that taking a few days off to go do something is important, that would be another place where I definitely have some regrets. However, you have to do the work and there will always be a party to go to or something that seems more fun for the moment and ask yourself, you know, did I give it enough this week? Was I shifting that pole to the right side to get the work done? If it takes having to get up two hours earlier because you're working a day job, but you really want to do music, that's what you're going to have to do. Or skipping that, that event or that party or that thing. Not that there's a lot of parties right now in COVID, but you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes Netflix is so much more attractive than (laughs) sitting down and writing your damn business plan or getting that one blog post finished or putting that content strategy together. I think Netflix is a wonderful, fabulous thing and television's never been better, but oh my gosh, you could just spend your life watching episodic television and not doing your career. Um, And I can also say this, this, the secret to how I managed to be who I am in the music industry is I did not have a television for 20 years. I never saw The Sopranos. I never watched Six Feet Under. I, I I did none of it, none of it. People were having all these conversations about pop culture, television. I never watched it until I got pregnant. Then I watched all of it (laughs) later in your life. But um, you might have to get that, like, you might need to miss out on um, the newest uh, series of The Crown because you could use that 15 hours to do something that could be wildly transformative for your career. That is an absolutely top tip. What are we going to focus on? What are we going to do with our time? Thank you, Ariel. You have been absolutely totally amazing you're the only person that i would tell all these secrets it's just fantastic (laughs) i mean i just love all your stories and all your reflections and i have truly been lost in the moment by what you've said it's fantastic if people want to find you where should they go I am everywhere as cyber PR and <laughs> cyber PR music. Cyber PR music is more for our music clients and stuff we do at the agency and cyber PR is me. Fantastic. So any artists, if you're thinking of the best digital publicity in the world, I would recommend that you go to Ariel and you will not be disappointed. Ariel, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I love you so much and I love what you do and um, I wish you well in your new home in Massachusetts. Have a wonderful fall. Thank you. Lots of love. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Love Live Music Secrets of Success podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Love Live Music UK or come and visit my website www.lovelivemusic.co.uk